Welcome to Becker and Broom on Bullets Forever, a podcast for the thinking Washington Wizards fan. My name is Ben Becker. My co-host is a Wizards blogging icon, and he's playing hurt today, fighting through flu-like symptoms. Kevin Broom, say hello. Hey, Ben. Flu-like symptoms, but not NBA flu-like symptoms. These are actual flu-like symptoms, not brought on by (laughs) alcoholic consumption. So we are going to try to keep this short so you don't die mid-recording. So let's jump right into it. We last recorded before the Memphis game, and since then the Wizards are 5-1. and one. Their lone loss was at the buzzer in Detroit. Four wins against quality opponents, Memphis, Boston, Atlanta, Charlotte. Three wins on the road. Kevin, I ask you the subtle and nuanced question on every thoughtful Wizard fa- Wizards fan's mind. What the f*** is going on with this team? Well, they're playing well, I guess is the simplest way to put it. We're not used to this as Wizards fans. It's it's fun to see, that's for damn sure. Um, but they they are actually playing well lately. We talked a lot about how what they were doing was basically what you would expect an average team to do against their schedule. And then immediately they came out and, like you said, over the last few games... They've been outstanding. They've stomped the crap out of some very good opponents, teams that rank ahead of them in the standings and in the various strength measures that we use. And I guess as we go forward, we can all debate and wonder about whether the Wizards of the last month or the last week or whatever time frame you want to put on it is the real Wizards or whether they are indeed an average-ish team. Time will tell. But I want to dig into a little bit of this recent stretch and why they've been so good. What is it about their performance that has changed? Why have they beaten these really good teams? One of the reasons is that they, you know, I mean, I'm sure you saw the story of Markeith Morris seeing that clickbait article, getting mad that he was not listed among the 30 top power forwards in the league and decided he was going to start playing better, which, you know, maybe we could get somebody to publish one of those every week and just keep, like, keep him just out of the top 30 or something. Because he's been outstanding. He's been basically at, a, at an above-average starter level. Not all-star level or anything like that, but above-average starter level for the month of January. Very pleasant change. You've got Wall and Porter both playing at all-star level really all season. Um, but they've both been very good over the last month. And Beal is playing above-average starter level. Gortat is playing above-average starter level. So you've got five quality players and they're getting not much from their bench, but they're getting a little something from really from Sadoransky, a little bit from Jason Smith now and then. But it's really Sadoransky who's kind of playing much better. He's actually now rating above above replacement level, and he was way below earlier in the month. Yeah, he seems to be getting more comfortable. A couple points on Morris. First, uh, our Twitter buddy and Bullets Forever compatriot Akbar Nakvi had a tweet within the past week or so about over Morris's last 10 games, his shooting and efficiency numbers, which really have been at all-star level or close. Uh, There was a Bullets Forever roundtable this week about the Morris trade and if people can now view it as a success. And what I responded was, well, I still am uneasy with calling it a success precisely because Morris's production over the last couple of weeks has been so far outside his career norms yeah yes if this is the if this is the Markeith Morris that that the Wizards are getting then of course this trade was a runaway success I'm I'm still not 
we have such a large sample on Morris's career that I'm uncomfortable saying, well, this is just who Markeith Morris is. Can you put some context around his recent production versus what he's done over the course of his career? Well, yeah. I mean, his recent production is a significant outlier compared to his career performance. You're talking about his season-best career PPA, and as we've discussed before, PPA is my overall rating metric player production average. His peak in his career was a 102, which is a league average is 100 in PPA, higher is better. And so over the last month, he's been around 140, 145, somewhere in that range. He's done about this well for the stretch of a few weeks when he was in Phoenix in that peak season, but he's never sustained this over, a, you know, 40 games or, you know, 30 games or 82 games. He's been right around league average or worse than average throughout most of his career. And for him to sort of turn it on and suddenly become an above average starter, you know, at age 27, I mean, it's possible. You know, you never know what clicks. Maybe it clicked and he likes what he's doing, but more likely we're going to see some regression from him probably back down to his previous levels, established level, which is about league average. Well, I have a very unsubstantiated theory. There, It's almost like there's a good Markeith and a bad Markeith, and he seems engaged. You know, you made reference to this article, but he seems engaged. It seems like he's picking up fewer silly fouls, and when he's engaged, he can help a team significantly, and so Look, my hope going forward is that this is the real Markeith Morris or that it's close because th- this guy can can help the Wizards a lot. On the defensive end, he gives them something that they haven't had, which is a, a mobile defender on the perimeter who can also help inside. And hopefully this production continues. That's the only way to look at it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if if this is the real Markeith Morris going forward, then it's fantastic for the Wizards. It's, he's playing very well. We'll see. I've seen some tweets and there's been some discussion online about the Wizards' offense, how it's performing well over the course of the season. Now I think they're up to ninth in offensive rating for the season. And the shorter time frame you look at that under, sort of the, the better it is because they started so poorly. And people have pointed out they're shooting the same or fewer threes than they were last year. And everyone was jumping up and down at Randy Whitman saying, you know, you're not shooting enough threes. You're taking too many bad shots. What's going on with the offense? How good has it been? What's going right? Help me understand. Definitely, they are shooting great. You know, terrific. Uh, Well, you know, for the season, they're, what, 525 uh, effective field goal percentage, which is seventh best in the league. Um, Since December 1, they're at 545 effective field goal percentage, which I think would rank around third in the league if they had done it over the whole season. So that's some really good shooting. Now, you, you talk about what's changed. They're, they are taking fewer threes, but it's not a huge difference. I mean, last year, 28.2% of their shots were three-point attempts. This year, it's 27%. What's changed, though, is the rest of the league is shooting more threes. And so last year, they ranked 16th in three-point attempt rate. This year, they're 25th. It's actually really interesting to look at it compared last year to this year because their shot distribution is very similar uh, really across the board, except for from three to ten feet. And three to ten feet is kind of this, like that short two-point range. It's often the area of failed drives, but it's also you know a range where somebody like Otto Porter can is doing quite well. 
where he just doesn't miss from that range, or not very often. He shoots a really high percentage. Now, they're fifth best in the league in shooting percentage from that range, and this is one of those sort of double-edged things. Is they are fifth best, it's that's actually a pretty low percentage shot typically. They're only 44.3% from that range. And so there's still, in other words, there's still room for them to further optimize their offense with shot selection. They're not turning the ball over much, which is good, but that was true last year as well. Um, One thing that's actually helping them quite a bit is that they're making free throws this year. Last year they shot 73% from the line. This year it's 78.4%. And that's in large part because, you know, Nene is not around to miss free throws anymore. That seems like a pretty significant material improvement you said 73 some to 78 some how much of the offensive improvement do you think could be attributable to just the fact that they're converting free throws at at a much higher rate is it a decent chunk i'd have to do some math on that it might be worth like i'm guesstimating here you know like a a point or two per hundred possessions you know point point and a half which is pretty significant you're talking about just by making free throws, if if it is a point, that's about three additional expected wins over a course of an 82-game season. Interesting. When we talk about the four factors, well, I'm going to let you talk about the four factors a little <laughs> bit. What are the four factors? What do they measure? And and why are they? Why is understanding them important? Uh, the four factors were formalized by Dean Oliver, who you know we've talked about his book already, Basketball on Paper. But uh, anyway, Dean's been writing about this stuff, and basically the idea is that there are four key factors, offensive and defensive, that determine who determines who wins games. And what they measure are shooting percentage, ball handling, turnovers, rebounding, and free throws. And there are different stats that you use for each of those for shooting from the floor it's effective field goal percentage which accounts for the three-point shot we use turnover percentage or turnovers per possession Uh, we typically look at offensive rebounding percentage and defensive rebounding percentage and then we look at free throws made divided by field goal attempts to get the free throw part which sort of combines the efficiency of making free throws you know whether you make your free throws or not with the how frequently you get to the line with the finding that for the most part, getting to the line is more important than actually making the free throws, although it's good to make your free throws too. With those four factors, you, you pretty much can tell who, who will win any game. And I believe the Houston uh, Rockets TV telecast now uses the four factors because they actually want their fans who are watching the game to understand what's happening on the floor and to get a better understanding of, of why a team might be winning or losing. I know from our discussions and just from my reading that the biggest uh, of the four factors, the, the most predictive or the most important is shooting efficiency. That the teams with the best offenses tend to shoot well, and the teams with the best defenses tend to force other teams to shoot not well, and, and they rebound those misses. But, but shooting is, is the biggest component of that. Shooting is the most important factor, period, both sides of the floor. So as we talk about the importance of shooting well— and we talk about the Wizards, there is a something that stands out in a huge way is Otto Porter. Otto Porter seems to be shooting the lights out from basically everywhere. I'm going to ask you what I always ask you. Put that in context for me. So to put Porter in context, from zero to three feet, he's shooting 73%. That's at rim. 73%. League average is 63%. 
From 3 to 10 feet, he leads the team. He's 53.5%. League average from that distance is 41%. From 10 to 16 feet, Otto is shooting 56%. League average is 41%. You go out to 16 feet, the long two, and Otto is shooting 47%. League average is 40% is 40%. And then you go to three-point range, and Porter is shooting almost 46%. 45.6% league average is 36%. So basically, Porter is shooting about 10% 10 points better than average from everywhere on the floor. He's a really excellent shooter. He's leading the league in three-point percentage. True shooting percentage, which not only takes the three-point shot into account, but it also takes free throws into account. He's sixth in the league. He's behind three centers, Gobert, Montrez Harrell, DeAndre Jordan, Kevin Durant, and then another center, Nikola Jokic. His shooting is off the chart, and I think that he's done it for long enough. I mean, if you look at his, if you go back and look at his shooting, basically from January one of 2016, he's shown that he's a great shooter. And what's interesting about him, and what is exciting about him going forward, is he's, as you point out, he's extremely efficient from basically everywhere on the floor. So as teams start to game plan him and say, you know what, we're going to do, we're going to run him off the line, well, he can then take a dribble in and make a bad shot. Or if he can get to the basket, he's shown that actually he can get to the basket and he can contort himself and make a shot at the rim and get fouled. He's a real weapon for this team. Yeah, and the other thing is he does not turn the ball over. By the way, his, you know, we talked earlier in the season about, or in an earlier podcast about, how the Wizards could optimize their offense. And one of them was to give Porter more possessions, let him have, you know, be more of a third option instead of a fourth or a fifth option. And his usage is up. He's over, he's at 15.5% usage now. He was down around 14% just a few weeks ago. So they're going to him more and he's maintaining his efficiency. In fact, he's he's even getting better as they're going to him a little more. This also gets at, though, one of those things. There's a real value in a guy who just doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't turn the ball over. He doesn't miss shots. If you give him the ball, he's not going to do anything bad with it. And when he does something with it, it's typically pretty good. I love Otto Porter. I'm just, I'm just putting that out there. So we've talked Morris. We've talked Otto. Let's talk a little bit about this backcourt. How good are they? How good have they been? Wall is having the best season of his career. I mean, so is Beal. Uh, but Wall is you know, truly at a, like a you know, good, solid all-star level. And he's not too far from, like, you know, all NBA consideration. He's not there yet. He's a little behind some guys. But he's having a really good season. Just terrific. And, boy, you just hope he stays healthy. And you wonder also how much did sore knees and stuff that he had two, you know, surgeries on each knee last uh, offseason, how much that inhibited his performance in previous years when he was good but not this good. And Beal, of course, is, you know, above average starter. He's having a really solid season. And best season of his career, he's got a lot of promise. The other truly unsung hero, even though you know, our, our first podcast, we talked about Marching Gortat and your piece. Yeah. And I know his production is technically down, as we talked about, as a result of the fact that he's just getting the ball less. Yeah, There's been a lot written about what he's doing well in terms of screens. The other thing that I think Gortat just deserves a ton of credit for is just being an awesome teammate. I think yeah. there was a lot of concern expressed about, you know, over the offseason, especially with the Mahinmi signing of 
how's Gortaka gonna take this? We've seen his touches gone down, and they're just and especially because there was acrimony between him and Randy Whitman, there has not been a peep of negativity from Gortad as it pertains to roll and touches. And, and you know, that's what you need on great basketball teams. You need yeah. sacrifice and people who are in it for the whole. And as far as I'm concerned, Gortat can't get enough credit for what he's meant to the improvement of this team. Yeah, I agree. He's having a really nice season. If you look at his numbers on a per-possession basis you know per 100 team possessions he's basically the same across the board except for how often he shoots and that's it think about it though he's shooting 59 percent from the floor this season that's a career best for him but only 12.2 shots per 100 team possessions so and if he'd made his free throws he would be if he made them at his regular rate he'd probably have another half a point on his scoring but he's rebounding just as well his assists are about the same his steals and blocks a little down turnovers about the same you know, he's just having a kind of Gortat season, typical Gortat season, except that his field goal attempts are down a little bit. One of the things I think is kind of funny, though, is I saw those uh, comments that Gortat made about how he was happy to have more opportunities this year in the offense when everything about it, what he's doing is down. You know, he's fewer plays of all kinds being run for him. The only thing that's about the same are his second chance points, basically the points he gets from offensive rebounding, which are the same as they've they've been. And he's down across the board, and yet he's happier. I guess that speaks to a couple things. One, that, that speaks to the human brain and perception, because he's obviously not measuring his touches, and, right. and how that's colored by team success. Guys are, I, I would assume that guys are just happier with their roles when when the team is succeeding. And they're more likely to think that they're not having enough of a role when the team is failing. Yeah, I think that's right. And it could also be something that Scott Brooks is doing very well in terms of rewarding players and awarding them credit internally. Because externally, of course, the the credit for the Wizards being good goes overwhelmingly to Wall and to Beal. And for Gortat to be happy with a smaller role but team success is... in indicates one that he's more focused on team success than on his you know individual numbers which is a good thing and two that the team itself has a culture where they are rewarding that kind of positive attitude and they're rewarding him or you know crediting him for the contributions that he's making which are important so you bring up brooks and that's one of the reasons why i'm starting to get a little bit excited the team is performing incredibly well right now yeah and you don't have to squint that hard to see upside in this season and beyond from the following standpoint. One is obviously Mahinmi. If he can get back and get healthy and get on the court, at the very least, he can reduce Gortat's minutes load and keep him fresh for the playoffs and keep him fresh as he ages. And if last year's, as we talked about, on the last pod, hey, if last year's Mahinmi is the real Mahinmi, then 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 he could really help. The other thing, the other thing as it pertains to Brooks is he's playing young guys. He's playing Kelly Oubre. Kelly Oubre is he's going to play in the playoffs. He's going to succeed some in the playoffs. He's going to fail some in the playoffs. Failure is critical to development. The fact that he's getting these reps and He's showing some nice improvement from year one to year two. It's actually pretty similar to Otto's and to Trevor Ariza's when you look at their historical 
comps. Not to say that that Ubre's got the type of upside that Otto does, but I actually do think he's got a Reza type upside. But there's upside there. Sadoransky's starting to play a little bit, play better. There's upside there. There are reasons to think that as good as this team has been, they could potentially sustain or even be better. Do you agree? And what are the potential reasons why this team could potentially come down to earth a little bit? I'm not quite as optimistic about Sadoransky and Ubri for this season. Both guys are right around replacement level. That's kind of been where they've where they've been. Uh, Sadoransky has, has improved over the last month, and he's he's definitely played better. And so maybe they'll get decent reserves, you know, minutes from him. Ubre is he has some good games and some really bad games and it's hard to know for sure what you're getting from him night to night and that's normal for a young player I'm not down on him at all I actually kind of liked him as a pick I I didn't mind them trading up to get him I kind of would have preferred they sat back and let him come to them but that's fine I think that he's got the potential to be a solid NBA player in the future Mahinmi if he comes back and he does the things that we hope he can do that's probably their best chance of getting something off of the bench. This team it might be a good idea for them to be in the market. They should be in the market for a trade or a, you know, a free agent pickup someplace, somebody who can come in and give them some minutes. You know, if, if they could get a true third guard to who can be productive, who could play both point and shooting guard, you know, a swing guy, do some scoring, do some things for them, that would be a really nice get. The, the big thing, the number one thing, that could bring them down at this point is injury. They've had extraordinarily good health so far. Mahinmi is really the only important rotation guy who's missed any time, any significant time. Wall, Porter, Beal, Gortat, Morris, they've all been healthy. Sadoransky, Ubre, they've all been healthy. That's extraordinary, extraordinarily good fortune, especially for the Wizards, who have typically been completely snake bit by injuries in the past. So maybe this is their year where they stay healthy all year and make a deep playoff run. But if it was me, I think I would be looking for a move to add some some bench help, some quality bench help, and to sort of hedge against the possibility of an injury. I think a lot of the narrative is, is they've been unlucky with injury because Mahinmi was their, hu- was their huge offseason signing and he basically hasn't played, when the reality is, is that in a best-case scenario, he's their sixth-best player and they've been extremely lucky. I think that's a little bit what we were getting at last week when we were harping on what a missed opportunity last offseason was because the truth of the matter is if any one of their main guys goes down, they don't have anyone on the roster who can step in and, and fill in reasonably well. If Wall goes down for two weeks, they don't have a way to replace him. If Porter goes down for eight or ten games... They don't have a way to replace him. And so we just need to hope that the basketball injury gods are on the Wizards' side and they stay healthy. I mean, the most important guys, I think, in terms of injury, at least in the short term, if Mahinmi gets back and then Gortat goes down, theoretically at least, Mahinmi could step in and start. But like you say, if Wall goes down, they don't have anything. I mean, you're going to play Sadoransky or Trey Burke. That gets really scary. Porter... They don't have much of a replacement. Ubre could probably step in, but he can't do he doesn't play the way Porter does. You know, they could probably get by with an injury to Beal. They could probably get by with an injury to Morris. 
but they're not getting by if Wall, Porter, or Gortat goes down. And they could use a move to hedge against that and also bolster the bench. Bolster the bench when you're at full health and have a actual quality NBA replacement if somebody goes down for a couple weeks. Let's not tempt fate any more than we have. I was sure when they were wearing all black for their funeral game with the Celtics that they were not only going to lose by 50, but they were going to sustain a key injury. Neither of those things happened, so maybe this is the year uh, that things go right for the Wizards in that respect. Looking forward, the next the, the Wizards' next four games, they have... New Orleans on the road. They're home against the Knicks, the Lakers, then back against New Orleans at home. New Orleans is not good. They've been playing they've been playing significantly better of late. I know that this is the last thing that you're supposed to do. But but these games are all they are all potentially winnable. I know when you multiply the probability of winning each one four times, the odds of them going 4-0 are are pretty low. That sure. said, if the Wizards win their next four games, they will be thirty and twenty. Yep, that's that's unbelievable. And so, just to make you happy, pulled out my prediction machine, and I've got them as favored. This is using the full season worth of data, favored in each of the next four games. So thirty and twenty looks pretty realistic. The toughest of those games is probably going to be actually be the the one against the Pelicans, and that's because it's on the road. But then they come home for four in a row, and they've got a pretty good chance of winning all of those. And now here's something for you. So if you that's using the full season worth of data, right? And so if you run the numbers on the full season worth of data, the projected record is 46 to 48 wins, right? So wow. significantly better than the 41 we were predicted or that I predicted at the start of the season significantly better than the 42 wins that we were looking at when we talked last. And that's because they went out and they stomped three good opponents who were ahead of them in the standing. They beat the crud out of Atlanta. And uh, that was pretty significant. Now, if you throw out the first 10 games, just get rid of those. And it's what we had talked about, you know, that they've been much better over the last 36 games than they were in those first 10. They had a scoring, or an efficiency differential, excuse me, over the last 36 of plus 3.1 points per 100 possessions, which is good. And they've played against an easy schedule, about eight-tenths of a point worse than average. If you run all of that together, and then you, I run the prediction machine over the rest of the season, I come up with a, a range of 47 to 53 wins. Again, just using data from the last 36 games, throwing out the first 10, they would be favored in their next 11 games. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That, that This is not... The Washington Wizards team that, that we have grown accustomed to. Hopefully, they win their next four and they're 30 and 20 heading into a national TV showdown with the Cavaliers. And we have more good things to talk about in the coming weeks. So, with that, we're going to wrap up today's episode. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or however you listen to podcasts. Kevin is on Twitter at Broom underscore Kevin. You can find his Wizards-related work on Bullets Forever. You can also check out KevinBroom.com for Kevin's other writing, including his upcoming mystery novel. I'm on Twitter at underscore Ben Becker. And until next time, this is Becker and Broom on Bullets Forever.